0: AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. What did you learn from the 2023 growing season? We'll find out what one crop watcher learned, and we will get an update on some widely variable conditions in Brazil. Then, it's time for the Farmer Forum. We'll start with harvest reports, and today we've got CO2 pipelines back on the agenda. Live from
1: the ongoing inevitable winter advance via Farm Journal broadcast, (laughs) this is Talk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Dr. Michael Cordonier from Corn and Soybean Advisor. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Kelly Newenhouse and Trent Luce. Directly following the news, Margie Eckelcamp from The Scoop. I'm a handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. And now, welcome
0: the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right. Did you escape all the ghosts and goblins from last night, or did, did you have any issues?
1: Um, you know what? The actually the doorbell rang once. Yeah. It was a parcel carrier. I had a, oh. had a delivery. Had a delivery. Oh, so dropping off, not picking up candy. I got you a treat. You
0: got a treat rather than having to put something. that's interesting.
1: That's the way to do it. I've yeah. figured it out. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I've flipped exactly. Halloween. <laughs> it's now all about me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Welcome to AgriTalk. Talk. I'm Chip. That is Davis. Hello. Uh, hope you all had stayed warm on Halloween. One of the coldest Halloweens Oof, on record. Chilly. Yeah. 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 It was downright cold. A lot of kids got snowed on last night when they were out there picking up their their candy and and mm-hmm. uh, um, some big kids too <laughs> got snowed on. Got snowed on. Yes. <laughs> Yes, uh that is absolutely 100% true. So, uh I think I, th- I think he referred to it as a snow squall. Squall. Yeah. Squall out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have quite the show set up for you here. Mm-hmm. Uh number one, it's become an annual event to get some what did you learn impressions from uh From Michael, from Dr. Michael Cordonier, pro-farmer crop consultant. Uh, So we're going to do that. We're also going to get an update on what's going on in Brazil. It's a crazy situation down there. And then we're going to talk about, uh, on the Farmer Forum, we're going to talk about the CO2 pipelines and get some impressions from a couple of guys that definitely have opinions on it. So uh, we'll get to that at the bottom of the hour. Right now, let's get to the news. What do you got?
1: Well, I'll start us with the National Weather Service short-term weather outlook. Record setting cold and sub-freezing temperatures to span much of the central and southern United States. An atmospheric river ushers in wet weather to the Pacific Northwest by tonight. Short and sweet from the National Weather Service chip. Uh, the yeah. subtext is cold. Is cold. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And cold. we've got some, some uh, moisture coming into the PNW. I know that they'd, l- they uh, will certainly appreciate that.
1: Well, Chip, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called for Democrats to accept a substantial U.S.-Mexico border provision as part of a larger supplemental spending package. While President Biden requested $13.6 billion for border security, congressional Republicans from both chambers are emphasizing the need for policy changes to address the flow of individuals crossing the border, not yeah. just additional funding. Chip,
0: doesn't that make sense to you? A lot of I, sense. We obviously have a problem. It's either that or the laws that are on the books are just simply not being enforced. It's Mm -hmm. one of the two. So either enforce the laws or let's get new policy in place.
1: Well, Tip Senate Ag Committee leaders are considering using a continuing resolution as a legislative vehicle to pass a one-year extension of the 2018 Farm Bill before January. Ranking member John Bozeman and Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow agree on the need for the extension while working on a new bill to replace the expired 2018 farm bill.
0: Yeah, last week, uh, House Chairman Glenn Thompson from uh, uh, Pennsylvania basically said that that's a possibility, but we've got a job to do and we're going to do it. He anticipates getting the bill done.
1: Well, speaking of job to do and going to do it, uh, there's just a ton of spending packages and legislation and all sorts of stuff floating around out there right now. So lots, uh, lots to look forward to. Yeah. Major U.S. airlines and aviation companies joined ethanol companies to send a letter to the Biden administration on Wednesday backing a regulatory change that would make it easier for sustainable aviation fuel made from corn-based ethanol to qualify for federal subsidies. The airlines are asking for it now, Chip.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They need the feedstock for the, for the SAF, and, and uh, ethanol to jet is going to be part of the conversation later today.
1: A significant court ruling in Missouri against the National Association of Realtors, or NAR, and large brokerages has the potential to disrupt the home buying and selling business in the U.S. The lawsuit, brought by Midwestern homeowners, accused the NAR and brokerages of conspiring to artificially inflate commissions by obliging homeowners to pay buyers' agent fees when listing their properties. Hmm. Ukraine has revealed its strategy for regulating food exports with a focus on registering food export companies in a bid to tackle issues such as the substantial portion of ag products being purchased with cash, resulting in unpaid taxes and the concealment or delay of foreign currency earnings held abroad. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ruled out any further carve-outs from the federal carbon tax scheme amid mounting pressure from provinces seeking measures like an exemption on home heating oil announced last week. And let's see here. In an unexpected turn, China's Siakson China General Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index dropped to 49.5 in October from 50.6 in September, falling short of market expectations, which had forecast a reading of
0: 50.8. Chip, over to you. Well, all right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in Margie Echolkamp, editor of The Scoop. How are you, Margie?
2: Good morning, Chip. Doing well.
0: Good. Okay, the finalists for new product of the year have been selected. What products made the list?
2: Yes. So we do this contest. It's a reader's choice contest every year, really highlighting ten finalists that had a big effect on the ag retail market this year in 2023. So our ten finalists, I'll run through them. Mm-hmm. Amvac BioWake, Azotic Technologies In Vita, BASF Revoloc, Corteva Viatude, FMC Adastrio. Helena Resenijx, Rezenge- HGS Biosciences, and Tiger Soul, Tiger Huma K, Ostara Crystal Green, Syngenta Storin, and Valent USA Maverick. So, two big trends I'm going to pull out of there yeah. on new products introduced in the past year that had that big effect on ag retail. And that is crop protection, notably fungicides and herbicides, as well as nutrient use efficiency products. And you will see in both of those categories, some new introductions with biological innovations. Yeah. So how we're re we're layering when it comes from a fertility and crop protection side, maybe some traditional chemistries and technologies and products with that biological. So A trend to watch, but we're really proud to have these 10 finalists. Folks can vote online at thedailyscoop.com, click on awards, and then the new product of the year contest. We encourage everyone to weigh in on what is that winning product that had the biggest effect on ag retail. We'll name a winner and a runner up early next year in the Scoop magazine.
0: Fantastic, Margie. Yeah, the crop protection uh, clearly is near the top of the list. And those biologicals, everybody I talk to is talking about it. All right. Thank you so much. www.thedailyscoop.com. We've got Michael Cordonier up next here on Agritalk.
1: The Scoop on Agritalk is brought to you by tyrannus moving the acre forward. Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com. Agritalk is brought to you by the Advanced Acre Rx program from Winfield United. To hear directly from farmers how Advanced Acre Rx helps you get the most out of your season, visit winfieldunited.com AARX. Welcome
0: back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday morning. Uh, like I said at the start of the show, it's all, it's become an annual event to get Dr. Michael Cordonier On the show at this time of the year, Michael is the pro-farmer crop consultant from Soybean and Corn Advisor, and he joins us right now. Welcome back to the show, Michael. How are you?
6: Okay, I'm doing fine, Chip. Always glad to talk to you.
0: Yep, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Uh, I want to start with corn on this one. What did you learn from 2023 growing season here in the States?
6: Well, I think the the corn probably held up better than the soybeans. We had a dry start then a pretty good middle in July, then turned dry again later on in the year. And I think the corn did a better job than the soybeans. You know, USDA right now has corn at 173 uh, bushels per acre. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit lower, I'm 172 and a half. I think in the November crop report, I could see that corn doing unchanged, uh, maybe down slightly. Eastern Corn Belt did very well know record yields indiana ohio michigan so i think the corn did quite well better than expected quite frankly given the start that they had
0: yep what happened in 2023 that is going to change how you evaluate yield potential in 2024
6: well don't get too pessimistic too early uh (laughs) i think that's the key you know a dry june is, you know, you don't, you don't want to have a dry June, but that's not the determining factor. Yeah. And, in fact, I always try to be careful not to get too pessimistic too early or too optimistic for that fact. Yeah. So you just have to kind of wait. And the hybrids this year, hybrids now, I should say, do much better than they did years past. So you always got to kind of hold your fire a little bit on the corn. Yep.
0: Yeah. You know, the hybrids, absolutely. Um, you know, the – I've been told from Pioneer, who is the sponsor of of uh, Crop Tour. I, I've been told many times that the original Aquamax uh, that was out in 2012 wouldn't even qualify as a standard hybrid uh, out there right now. That's how much drought resistance has been built into. Uh, the the corn hybrids that are out there right now so it, it's pretty fen- phenomenal uh well yes and and, and Michael the beans uh, how in the world did they finish with as well as they did even at 49.6 if usda's right how did they finish that well with so little rain in August and September
6: uh you know you read my mind uh I was more pessimistic. You know, in mid to late August, yeah, when some areas just wouldn't get any rain, and it stayed dry until early September, but they did phenomenally well, yeah. and I think the eastern corn belt, you know, propped up the west for sure. Mm. You know, USDA is forty nine point six. I'm forty nine point three for soybeans, and I do think the November number might come down a little bit, yeah. but you know, it's for both crops now. Short periods of dry weather just don't do what it used to do years ago. Right. So you always got to be a little bit more careful about your early yield estimates, especially yep. for soybeans.
0: Yep, yep. And we can't forget about the management that that producers are putting out there too. Uh, the 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 crop protection. uh yes. The fungicides, yes. uh, the biologicals that we were just talking about with Margie. That those seem to be having. Uh, An impact on on the performance of the crop as well.
6: All right, I agree one one hundred percent.
0: Yep, yep. Okay, let's go to South America. I don't know if I recall a time, Michael, that conditions have been so different from north to southern Brazil as as what they are right now.
6: Start in the south. It is a, it is a case of two extremes. Yeah. Uh, It's just been unbelievably wet in southern Brazil, and and there's more rain coming. You know, places in the state of Paraná, southern Paraná, they've had like 25, 30 inches of rain in October, and it's raining here this morning, and there's more rain in the forecast. (laughs) So extremely wet in the southern locations, as opposed to central and eastern Brazil, very, very dry. Now, this is sort of an exaggerated El Nino pattern. With El Nino you do expect you know above normal precipitation southern Brazil and Argentina and then drier than normal central and eastern and northeastern Brazil. But it's been like on steroids this year. Yeah. And some places in say eastern Mato Grosso, let's put it the further east you go, the drier it is. So Eastern Mato Grosso, northern Goiás, Tucantins, Bahia those states have been very, very dry and hot as blazes, really mm-hmm. hot, you know, well over 100 degrees or more, and uh, record temperatures, which is saying something for central mm-hmm. Brazil. Now, the forecast is a little bit better. They have gotten some rain, but it's still scattered, and the coverage has been poor in that central area. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the soybeans that were planted early have to be replanted, because they came, came up, germinated, and then it was really, really hot for a couple of weeks. And some areas, went 15, 20 days without any rain mm-hmm. and really high temperatures, so they got to be replanted. Okay. Now, this is going to impact, I think, some of the soybeans. Any soybean planted after about now, the first week of November, has a lower yield risk, especially with an El Nino year. Because all the meteorologists in Brazil are saying that you know, we've had very erratic weather thus far. And it's going okay. to continue erratic. And you're going to get some periods of dry weather in December and January in central Brazil. And that's when it's most important for the soybeans because they're in you no know, pod fill period. Yeah. So as it might be problematic for soybeans, it's way more problematic for corn. your corn. Okay. Uh, that corn is going to be planted late just a matter of how late and i think we're going to have a lower safrinha acreage
0: okay talk to me about brazilian producers attitudes towards that safrinha corn crop is it is it Correct. something that that they're going to do no matter what because there's some money to be made or is there a lot of flexibility on whether or not they're going to plant it?
6: Well, usually they go ahead and plant. You know, that's like a a foregone conclusion. But the last softening crop, a lot of guys lost money because of the low corn price. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of guys are are a little shy about this year. Now, there's a lot of indications of lower softening acreage. You know, the soybean planting is being delayed. Uh, The price of corn is very low. There's no margin at these current prices. There's been very slow sale of corn seed and fertilizer. And there's been an increased sales for seeds for cover crops. So okay. you know a cover crop is the alternative you're not going to do your corn. And sofina corn is icing on the cake. You know, you live and die by soybeans. Yeah. If you get a second crop of corn, that's great. Make some money, fantastic. But you don't have to have a second crop of corn to stay in farming. So it's, it's sort of an optional crop if you want to make some money. And this year, it's, it's marginal. You're going to make any money or not, especially if you plant it late, and especially this year with an El Nino, which is supposed to peak about December or January. Mm-hmm. And El Nino can often give you an early end to the summer rainy season. So normally in Mato Grosso, the last summer rain is like maybe the first 10 days of May. And after that, you only get light showers. Well, in an El Nino year, you might get your last good substantial rain into March or early April. So if you plant your corn late and the rain's in early, you got a real problem. Yeah. So I think farmers are still waiting to decide what to do. But almost everybody says they're going to cut back either on the inputs for the South Indian corn or just cut back on the acreage altogether.
0: Right, right. I know you You just said that uh, you need to be a little patient on making adjustments, but you're starting to whittle away on both corn and beans, right?
6: Yes. Uh, I did lower both of my estimates this week, in fact. Okay. I took off 2 million tons for both Brazilian soybeans and corn. Uh, so my soybean estimate now is 160 million tons, and the soybeans are about, well, they were 40% planted at the end of last week, averages 45. I would say today they're probably about 50% planted, but we're we're a little bit slow. Okay. And then for the Southania corn, or the Brazilian corn crop in general, I'm now at 123 million tons. Okay. Down 2 million. Got so it. So we got to wait and see what happens for that planting of the Southania corn.
0: Got it. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Sure, no problem. All right. That is Dr. Michael Cordonier, Pro Farmer Crop Consultant from Soybean and Corn Advisor. We've got Kelly and Trent up next on the Farmer Forum.
4: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
3: time for markets now with the experts from pro farmer
0: joining us now pro farmer editor brian grady beach we've been watching this corn market kind of be a follower but today it's the only market that's trading to the downside i don't like this what's going on
7: yeah uh technical breakout uh, from the short-term consolidation range on the daily chart chip so uh, we got some technical base selling kicking in here but uh, like you mentioned it's trading counter to everything else and including uh, the crude oil market which is higher and, and so uh, just not real healthy price action here at, at mid-morning uh, haven't seen anything real fundamental news behind it uh, you know ethanol weekly ethanol production was solid this morning and and uh, um, just looks like a technical breakdown at the moment some spreading action with the wheat market too um, okay. you know the traders have been pretty active in the the short wheat spreads and, and they're lagging out of some of those this morning
0: Okay, very good. Um, in the soy complex, we've got both meal and oil trying to work to the upside. That's a bit of a positive.
7: Yeah, so soy oil is being helped by crude that I mentioned there. Oh, uh, the one yeah. thing that to keep an eye on here is December meal is trading to the downside, and so that'll be something to watch. If uh, that contract continues to pull down, uh, we'll have to see if we can finish on a strong note in soybeans.
0: Gotcha, take us over to the livestock trade.
7: Oh, relatively uh, positive trade, uh, seeing live cattle futures have been trading to the upside a little bit, now turning mixed here at mid-morning and, and just waiting on cash cattle trade to develop. Uh, I think the general thought is that we'll see steady, firmer prices, but uh, there's some uncertainty there and, and traders just aren't buying with any conviction. Uh, a little bit more strength in the feeder cattle because of the uh, the weakness in the corn market this morning. And then hog futures uh, just continue to try to narrow up that discount to the cash index and work
0: All right, Brian, thanks, buddy. That's Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not
1: necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. AgriTalk is brought to you by Brevant Seeds. You want someone who knows how to do the whole job. That's what ag retailers do. That's why Bravant Seeds are available only through
0: retailers. Find yours at brevont.com slash retail. All right, welcome back to AgriTalk. It's Wednesday. That means it's time for the Farmer Forum, and we've got a good one for you today. Let's get it started. Kelly Newenhouse up in northwest Iowa. Kelly, it's great to talk with you again. How are you, man?
8: Hey, Chip. It's great to be on AgriTalk this morning. I'm doing well.
0: Good. What are you up to this morning?
8: Well, we're in the process of harvesting corn. Um, It's been kind of a long harvest. Uh, We've had a, uh, our combine was in the combine hospital for about four (laughs) days during bean harvest. So uh, that kind of set us back behind the eight ball and uh, finished with the soybean harvest and uh, jumped into the corn harvest. And then we, up here in Northwest Iowa anyway, we've been blessed with about six inches of rain in the last month. Yeah. Um, you know, our soils were bone dry. Um, even after six inches of rain, we don't have tile running yet. So it uh, kind of tells you where we were at. But, uh, you know, the amazing thing, you know, what American farmers can produce in conditions like that. Uh, we ended up on soybeans about 10 bushel above our APH. Unbelievable. And the corn we've done so far and we figured there's some of our lower yielding fields some of our lighter ground, um, we're at least 30 to 40 bushel above our APH and we've got our good dirt to do yet. So, uh, pretty, (laughs) pretty excited about where we're, what we can do in American agriculture. And this is just another perfect example of why we need uh, demand growth for what we do and the products we produce and, uh, how we need to keep forward to new demand and you know, like I've always said, the best growth opportunity for demand in agriculture right now is the biofuels industry. So yep. we need to We're, keep that going in the right direction. You,
0: you bet. We're going to talk a bunch about it on the show this morning, Kelly. No doubt about that. Let's bring in Trent Luce from central Nebraska, just north of Kearney, I believe, is where Hazard is at. Trent, it's great to talk with you. How are you?
9: Yep, nobody knows where Hazard is. You had to go and spoil it and bring Carney into the mix. That was a messed up deal. <laughs> I, I'm fantastic. Although I'm sitting here thinking I'm I must be getting old. I'm in my 24th year of broadcasting and you had that little promo for Tyne Morgan. That's yep. the third person this week that I've come in contact with that right. I interviewed when they were in high school and I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, what's going <laughs> on with this?" Yeah. I hear you. I hear you, man.
0: Uh, Loose Tails Media is is uh, Trent's business. It unbeliev, it keeps you unbelievably busy, Trent. I thank you so much for making time for us this morning.
9: Well, I really wanted to talk about the CO two pipeline situation and and where we're at. But before we do that, I I, I got to let you know that in the past ten days, I've actually driven three thousand miles. We had a little across the pond regaining control for the farmer tour we started in quincy illinois we went to wisconsin then to minnesota to south dakota to north dakota back to nebraska then off to brush colorado and yesterday i went down to the oklahoma state capitol in oklahoma city and the reason i share all of that is because i, I was surprised at the number of acres that appeared to still be in the field in that three thousand mile journey not as much to the south more to the north but to Kelly's point, and, and I always say my dad was the, the worst at this, every summer I'd talk to him back in Illinois on how the corn crop was and, it, oh, it's dry, it's dry, we're just not going to have it, it's Just not, the yield's not going to be there, get in the field, look at the yield monitor, I'd call him and he'd say, I don't know where all that corn's coming from, it says it's the 220 <laughs> bushel to the acre, and this year was the same way I heard from the corn belt how dry it was, the drought's going to be bad. And it speaks to exactly what Kelly said, the resilience and the ability of the United States farmer to go through adversity from other nature and produce what we need to feed the people.
0: Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, you guys, we're going to jump into this. Uh, Let's talk about the CO2 pipeline. Summit Carbon Solutions and Wolf are the two projects that are still looking to put the pieces together. Navigator is out uh, of the effort to build the pipeline, at least for now. And that has created some more opportunities for Summit and potentially Wolf to expand their operations. It's a controversial issue. Uh, We've been talking about it on AgriTalk for more than a year. Uh, Summit has made some progress, but there is state level and individual resistance to the effort out there, no question about it. The whole idea here is to lower the carbon intensity score for ethanol plants. The lower the carbon intensity score, the more carbon reduction efforts that corn-based ethanol will qualify for. Many argue that it's going to extend the lifeline for ethanol far into the future. Others argue against the pipeline based on property rights issues, safety issues, and some say the CO2 should be used rather than buried in the ground. Uh, Kelly, I want to start with you on this. What's your thoughts on the CO2 pipeline projects?
8: You know, I've been a 100% supporter since day one. Um, I've actually got uh, a voluntary si- easement signed for about three miles with Summit. I actually had signed an agreement with uh, Navigator also, but, uh, you know, I've been involved in the ethanol industry and in an ethanol plant that is focused on carbon intensity scores for the last 10 years. And we've spent millions of dollars to lower carbon intensity scores by about 12 to 14 points. Um, here's an opportunity where we can lower it by 30 points. And the the futuristic benefits of that are unbelievable. You know, we've got, the the world is focused on decarbonizing. There isn't a day you don't wake up where you don't hear the word carbon or decarbonizing, and especially the energy sector. And if we don't lower our CI scores further, we miss out on a lot of these futuristic great opportunities. Right. Um Clear flame engines. I've talked about yep. that a lot. Diesel styled engine that runs on E ninety eight fuel. Yep, they're doing tremendously during their um, testing period. They have large retailers that are really interested in that engine style because they have their own fleets, they have their own terminals. Yep, but they keep demanding lower carbon index deck ind, in in deck scores or carbon yep. intensities. The pipeline, yep. you know, the average. Uh, ethanol plant today is about 77 ci score you drop that 30 points we're at 47 we qualify for sustainable aviation fuel
0: yep
8: it helps clear flame engines it helps the small engine transportation to compete with electrification you've got california washington oregon canada japan yep. european union Colombia. that's just a handful of areas that have low carbon okay. fuel standard yeah pay you low carbon the lower the better so right it makes a lot of sense to do this and uh, move forward
0: okay all right uh we got a couple of minutes well we've got about four minutes left here in this segment we're gonna uh get kelly or get uh trent's thoughts on it now trent your take on the co2 pipelines
9: Well, it's pretty sad that we have students in dorm rooms growing marijuana that understand the growing cycle of plants better than some of the farmers that we have in the United States. Why don't we just talk about how good the farmer is? We're currently at 430 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. A greenhouse achieved 600 parts per million. The era which created the coal seam, which we have as a reliable supply of electricity, had 1700 parts per million. This is the biggest lie in my lifetime that we need To work against carbon density, carbon is what fuels planets by plant growth, it is plant food. At the end of the day, the human body is 18% carbon. If we're going to decrease density of carbon in the atmosphere, we're going to decrease human growth or human existence, period. But what I see, and what should be the concern of every single corn producer in this country, is that we have the petroleum companies lining up to steal the CO2, which is a valuable commodity to produce jet fuel, if you want to do that. But by the way, they make jet fuel by blending CO2 with hydrogen. And just to remind people that water is one part hydrogen, two parts oxygen. So I don't understand how people can't understand the inherent risk of CO2 being in our in our waterways, crossing our rivers, and all of these other places where we have had severe ruptures of a break, Sarsha, Mississippi, obviously the most uh, significant one in the United States, Lake Nyos, where 1,700 people died when water and CO2 mixed. The inherent danger of compressing CO2 in a pipeline 24 inches wide, or 24 inches in diameter at 2,300 pounds per square inch, and the ethanol plant being required to produce, use 30% of the energy produced to compress it into the pipeline. None of this from a a financial standpoint makes sense. None of this from a safety standpoint makes sense. If the ethanol plant truly wants to tap into the added value of this tremendously valuable commodity, they'll capture the CO2 at the plant, put a hydrogen facility there as well, and produce methanol. There are so many options which would actually benefit the ethanol producer and the corn grower, and they're giving every bit of it away to a guy named Bruce Rastetter, who is monopolizing a commodity and going to control the ethanol business and put the Mm farmer-owned ethanol plants out of business by putting this pipeline in place.
0: Okay, you mentioned methanol. That's not a proven... I I see the advantages there, Trent, but that's not Mm -hmm. a proven process at this point. I mean... Maersk is wanting it. Uh, A shipping giant wants as much green methanol as it can get. But man, it uses a lot of water. The more I look at it, the more I wonder how they're ever going to get it done, Trent.
9: Yeah, it's actually more proven than taking CO2 and putting it in the ground in a tomb where the U.S. Geological Service says that injecting fluids into Earth does cause earthquakes. Yesterday, I'm in Oklahoma. They're talking about the significant increase of earthquakes in Oklahoma since 2014 because of injecting fluids from the fracking business. And now we're going to inject CO2, which we know is very combustible, into the Earth a mile and a half deep in Mercer, Oliver Counties, North Dakota, and Montgomery County, Illinois. That's not proven either, Chip. And that's okay. we know that yeah, that's no that's right. point-blank dangerous.
0: Okay. All right. We're going to continue the conversation here when we come back. We've got Kelly Newenhouse from Northwest Iowa, and we've got Trent Luce from Central Nebraska on the Farmer Forum. You know, are we going to participate in this process that the whole world is pointed at or not?
1: You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG.
0: And a heck of a conversation it is. We've got the Farmer Forum going with wow. Kelly Newenhouse wow. from Northwest Iowa, Trent Luce from Central Nebraska. Uh, I've got some specific questions that I want to get to, but I think I need to start with Kelly and see if you'd like to respond to anything that Trent said there, Kelly.
8: You know, i there there's certain things, you know, the utilization of CO2 is exciting futuristic potential. Yeah. You know, I, I don't disagree with them, but, you know, they've no, had technology for years to convert CO2 to uh, ammonia. The reason it isn't happening is it's not economical. It would cost a minimum of double what we pay for our fertilizer today. And, you know, the like the jets of um, CO2 to jet that's not economical either right now and you know what better situation than to have all this co2 compressed into a pipeline so the volume is big enough so futuristically we could take advantage of that opportunity you know it's exciting to me that down the road and i've been involved in the ethanol industry for 20 years um it takes a long time and a lot of this stuff is futuristic and it, it's it's not going to happen in the next five years maybe some of it won't happen in the next 10. It might take more than 20 years, but we have potential here. We have an opportunity through the Inflation Reduction Act to capture some economic benefit for rural America. And if anybody that's an ag supporter that's against taking advantage of the situation at this point, while the rest of the world is going to, uh, I'm a taxpayer myself, and I would love to see some of my tax dollars used to promote the rural America or benefit rural America, the biofuels industry, the ag industry, the livestock industry. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it's all futuristic, but we got to at least take the steps to go there. Yeah, And, you know, if so, you want to re- uh, deny us that opportunity, then it's shame on you. Um, so that's that's just my views.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, this green economy that has been, I don't know if that's a, Right description or not for it, Trent, but it's a real thing. It's happening. And well,
9: could- That's problematic because you have AOC who apparently started the green economy. And she actually also said this is not about a green economy. This is about transforming society. But I have to follow up with what Kelly said. I agree it's not economical to do those things, but it's not economical to put it in a pipeline either. It's a 17 – just the summit project is a $17 billion taxpayer subsidy. The ethanol industry was built with subsidies, and we went through that, but you must wean yourselves if we're going to become a sovereign nation and continue to be an energy producer. We cannot live on the backs of the taxpayers through this entire process. And furthermore, particularly when you put it in a pipeline, and the reason the Navigator pipeline has been canceled is because they knew they were in trouble in providing information about the plume study that would verify that it's safe to live within within a mile and a half of this pipeline. It's not safe. It's documented. That's why Navigator and BlackRock pulled up. You know,
0: can we support crude oil pipelines but not support CO2 pipelines, Trent?
9: Yes, I can and I have because the crude oil pipelines have been successful. They contribute to everyone's economy. The CO2 pipelines have demonstrated they're not safe, that they are explosive. That's the whole purpose that it's involved in jet fuel is because it's very explosive. That's why it's used in CO2 containers for your soft drinks. It explodes these things. And they are apples and oranges. I continue to have people say, well, look at what the pipelines have done in terms of safety. It's the safest way to transport crude oil. I agree. But that is not CO2. CO2 is a completely different animal. So,
0: Kelly, what what did you hear that made you comfortable with with signing the easement for a pipeline on your property?
8: Well, it's going to have the newest technology, a lot of safety effects. You know, I've got farms. I've got two farms that have natural gas pipelines through them that we farmed for 40 years. I've seen one of them one time when we were tiling, not an issue, but you know, they are explosive. Uh, We've got the Dakota Access Pipeline through one of our farms, not an issue, but they are explosive. CO2 is not explosive. I'm sorry. It just is not. Uh, We had a, that that shearing that happened in Mississippi was a sad situation, but it was an alerting opportunity. You know, no one died from that issue or that pipeline rupture. No one was even, from what I understand, was even admitted to the hospital. There were people that were treated and released, and it's it was a sad situation. But this new pipeline, new technology, done right, I have no issues with the safety of it. Um, and you know, I'm gonna it's going through three miles of our farmland, and yeah. uh, uh, we live right here. And you yeah. know, in our area, there's 80 percent voluntary easement signed. Um, for the whole project, it's seventy-five percent of the people, landowners support this project and want it done. And you know, in legislation, sixty-six percent is considered a super majority. Seventy-five percent is a super duper majority who are in favor of this. <laughs> okay, and uh, and that's why we need, as an ag industry, uh, we need to look forward and not okay. be afraid
9: of.
0: Okay, we've only got about a minute left. I'm going to give it to uh, Trent. What's your last thoughts well, here, Trent?
9: Well, I'd like to know what is green about taking 30% of the energy produced from an ethanol plant to compress CO2 and put it in a pipeline. And by the way, it's a pipeline to nowhere. There have been zero permits granted by a state anywhere involving this pipeline for the process. And there is no injection sites that are permitted to be injected either. This is a boondoggle that has been brought upon us by people who want to remove our property rights and confiscate our land. Signing an easement for perpetuity makes no sense to me or anybody else that takes a rational view. And the final thing I'll say is that I continue to hear this rhetoric about 75%, which I in no way, shape, or form believe Before, because Fort Dodge, Iowa is filled with people opposed and only a few are in favor. Hmm.
0: You guys, I appreciate your views, your opinions, your willingness to express and talk about this it is a controversial issue i feel like we help to advance the conversation and i know that both kelly and trent are going to continue to advance their points of views as, as we go forward guys thank you so much we really appreciate your efforts
9: thank you for chip. the opportunity chip
0: you bet all right that is kelly newenhouse farmer from northwest iowa and trent loose uh loose tales media uh and over there in central nebraska come back this afternoon we're going to have a conversation with luke backman from central valley ag